a pair of taut weathered hands covered in magnesium powder reaches for a pair of outstretched forearms that for a mere millisecond swing within reach forty feet below fifteen hundred people stare upward motionless neither breathing nor thinking but believing that there is no way that flyer can ever ever break out of four count em four somersaults find the catcher's arms in the blink of an eye grab them and hang on but what happens in the next instant calls into question every assumption this crowd has made about how the world and gravity works hands and forearms do meet they clutch they grasp and they hold and the crowd goes wild welcome to books on air the podcast you don't want to miss i'm suzanne harris and you are about to get a sneak peek at what goes on behind the scenes with an author you'll find out their secret recipe for creating their book and who knows you might even get an inside scoop on their next project if you want to know more about them and their work we'll tell you where to find them on social media i can't tell you how excited i am today to have our guest his name is paul bender and he's here to talk about his book with a wonderful title, Never Quote the Weather to a Sea Lion, and Other Uncommon Tales from the Founder of the Big Apple Circus. Now, Paul has lived and worked with the finest circus artist from around the world. In his book, he shows the reader the nuts and the bolts of a little understood life that touches the dreamer in all of us, at least in me, for sure. He graduated from Dartmouth College. He earned an MBA at Columbia University. Paul also worked at WGBH-TV in Boston, where he staged managed for Julia Child's cooking show, The French Chef. He also worked as a talent coordinator for Merv Griffin before heading west and learning to juggle with the San Francisco mime troupe. I can go on and on about his introduction. He's received honorary doctorate degrees in fine arts from his alma mater, Dartmouth, Pratt Institute, and Rhode Island College, as well as an honorary doctorate of humane letters from Long Island University. He was given the honor of New York City Living Landmark by the New York Landmarks Conservancy. Currently, he's in demand as a guest speaker, and he's spoken and led seminars at Dartmouth College, Harvard University, the University of Virginia, and Barnard College. It's my pleasure to introduce you to a street juggler, a performer extraordinaire, and the founder of the Big Apple Circus. Paul, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to have you on Books on Air today. Uh, yeah, oh my gosh, Suzanne. Are you sure that was me you were describing? <laughs> Yes, and I had to edit this. I looked at all of this and oh I thought, gosh. where do I start and where do I stop? You have just, oh my gosh. you've led the most amazing life. Well, it's been, it's been a big adventure, I'll tell you. Um, and, and, and it, it, you know, it continues. The, the, doing an audio book has been a, a totally new experience for me. Yeah. Um, it wasn't even my idea. It was suggested by a student of mine who was in my seminar. Uh, but here we are. And I'm talking to Suzanne Harris. Uh, how wonderful. How did Never Quote the Weather to a Sea Lion come into being? Why, why did you decide to write a book in the first place? 
Well, it's a good it's a good question. You know, I I had it was several years of people who I knew urging me to do a book. You know, it was before there were uh, audio books and uh, before there was this kind, you know, things like uh, YouTube and so on. But uh, friends and associates would say, gosh, Paul, you really ought to write a book. It's there's, there's so much. Your, your life has been so filled with, you know, wonderful stories. And so eventually I convinced myself or I had that suddenly had a space and time and said, let's see what I can do about this. And so I, I wrote Never Caught the Weather to a Sea Lion. That was a story that came to mind because we had a pair of sea lions on the show. Uh, uh, Adolf and Taxi were their names. She was a California, Taxi was a California sea lion and was much smaller than Adolf or Adolf, who was a, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember his breed, but he, he was enormous. He was over 800 pounds, wow. you know, and he was a hell of a comedian. Uh, he, he, uh, Robbie, who was his trainer, would walk up to him and show him a uh, sardine, wave a sardine in front of him. And he, w- by the way, a fresh sardine. They were delivered fresh every day. Uh, he would be sitting there. You know how sea lions clap their, their arm? Well, what do you call those things? The flippers. Flippers. Yeah, he would clap, and he, if Robbie took it away, he would sort of hang his head to one side, you know, and then he'd show him again, and he'd clap again. He was a great comedian, and uh, and it was there was a whole routine where he did it, and uh, if he didn't clap finally, uh, Robbie would turn to Taxi, the little female Pacific Coast sea lion, and she would clap, and Robbie would throw her the sardine which of course you catch they're great at that um anyway that was a story that came to mind all the images of having that act uh by the way who had come from switzerland they came from a an aquatic park in switzerland and they joined us in new york and we traveled uh, you know a- around what, what we called our national tour but it was one story and i said you know what a book of stories is what i should be doing um not not an in-depth memoir, you know, or, you know, something filled with me, me, me. It was going to be, pay attention. These people are quite amazing. You know, these wonderful artists who, uh, who are unique. So we did a book on uh, me and the sea lions did a book. You know, your story the, at the very, very beginning of the, of the book, I just loved this. The almost the first sentence says your mother has always wondered why you became a circus performer, and then it was really all her fault. Would you tell that story that it's the that is at the beginning of this? It's just so wonderful. Well, um, my mother loved parades. I'll, I could tell you that, and uh, we lived in we. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. And you know, perhaps you can hear it still in my accent, but uh, she wondered how it was that uh, how it was that her son could become a uh, an artistic director and a ringmaster of a circus. Well, she loved parades. We lived in Brooklyn, and so of course the major parade every year was the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And there I, I was four years old at the time. She 
bundled me. I went under the turnstile into the subway because I was a little kid and you could do that. And we got on the train and we rode to New York City, went over to Central Park West where the Macy's parade was was happening. And when we got there, the crowd was five deep. So the little guy went under the turnstile. I couldn't see. And my dear Brooklyn mother turned to the tallest man she could find in the crowd and asked if I could sit on his shoulders. And this wonderful man said, sure, come on. And he took me up on his shoulders and we watched the parade. You know, I, I must have sat there for oh, most of an hour. And it was all there, all the, uh, all the balloons and all the uh, bands and all the marching people and their costumes and so on. And for years later, I would remember the images and almost an order of the parade that'd be part of my memory. Then later that year, it was 1940, I was four years old, so it was 1946. And it was one of the first parades after the war, maybe probably the first. And so we went to the Lowe's Theater, downtown Brooklyn, to see the movie Miracle on 34th Street. And very shortly into the film, there's a scene uh, featuring Edmund Gwynn, who played Chris Kringle, Santa Claus. He's standing there in front of the crowd with his bowler hat on and sitting above him in, the, in this uh, fr- you know, movie frame. There's a little kid sitting there with ear flaps. And guess what? My mother jumped out of her seat, pointed to the screen and said, that's Paul. That's my son, Paul. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, there I was at the print in the shoulders of that uh, wonderful stranger. You know, it was years later when my, uh, my, my good friend uh, and colleague, Rob Liven, told me we could take a screenshot of that and include it in the book. So it's in the book. There's a photo of me sitting there over Edwin Gwen. And, uh, you know, am I proud of it? Yeah. Am I, I, years later, I was actually in the parade. Uh, for, I think, 12 years, I was in the parade on a, on a float or, or actually always on a wagon pulled by beautiful Percheron horses. And the wagon came in to us from uh, Circus World Museum in, uh, in Wisconsin. And, uh, and we'd be on that wagon. And I, I'd sit there or stand there every day waving my top hat, wondering, looking at the kids in the crowd, which one of you was going to be here one of these days? Dreams come true. They do sometimes. You're absolutely right. But how did yeah. you get, I mean, I read your credentials. You went to Dartmouth. You've got an MBA from Columbia. How did a guy who went to Dartmouth and got an MBA from Columbia wind up being a street juggler in Paris? I mean, yeah, well, that flipped like my head them, around. Yeah. Well, you know, that's an interesting, interesting as you pose that question because here's a story. I'm not even sure it's in the book. I'm pretty sure it isn't, but... Um, I was invited to be on the jury of the International Festival of Monte Carlo. The president of the jury was Prince Renier. So I sat with him every morning after the late night show the night before we would sit and discuss the acts. He was a great circus fan, by the way. And this day that I'm referring to this evening, I was invited to a dinner at the, um, the home. I guess it was the home of the Secretary of State of Monaco. And I'm sitting there, and the woman sitting next to me was the wife of the Secretary of State. And she asked the same question you asked. She said, Mr. Brinder, we know know a lot about you. 
we know you went to Dartmouth College. You got an MBA from Columbia University. I think she mentioned one or two other things. And, and she said, I, I can't understand why you would be here. And I said, well, if I wasn't here, you wouldn't be able to ask me those questions. <laughs> it was kind of a little bit of a snippy answer. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it's interesting because people do make that comparison. I loved being on those juries. I, I didn't do it once. I, I believe it was Monte Carlo three times and the jury in Paris, uh, Festival Mondial du Cirque, du Cirque de Demain, I was on even more times. Uh, and that was the Paris Festival. So what? that was always an honor and always exciting. It was like, and when they would play the music of the festival, I'd say, hey, Ma, look at me now. You know, it was... <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, these were wonderful experiences. They make good stories, too. You know, the book, I, I'm, I couldn't resist lifting that little uh, bit that I read before we started the interview. I just could not resist doing that because I think that that gives the, the listener just a little bit of a tease of how the book will sound because. This book is, you said earlier, it's turned into an audio book, but we need to also talk about the introduction because there's a very special person. You want me to do the trumpets again? Oh, yeah. Well, you sound the trumpets. Do, 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 do. There's a very special person <laughs> <laughs> that's well, going to. Well sounded. Well sounded, Suzanne. <laughs> Thank you. So, so the foreword to the book was done, well, was done by none other than the wonderful actress, Glenn Close. Uh, Glenn wrote this forward when the book was first published, uh, 2013. And uh, she and I had worked together. I'd worked with her. I taught her how to juggle uh, for her part as Charity Barnum in the, in the Broadway musical Barnum. Uh, Joe Layton, who was the director, wonderful director. Joe Layton had been a dancer in Oklahoma, to give you a sense, the original Oklahoma. He was the director of Barnum, and he called me, or his assistant actually called me one day, and said, Joe would like me to come down and have a meeting about doing the circus parts of the show. And they, we, by having that meeting with him and the cast, we went through every possible detail that, that myself and an assistant could figure out that they could do on a stage, even though most of them didn't have the uh, circus skills. Most of them were not circus performers. They were actors and actresses. And so was Glenn. And, and Glenn, when she realized that in the script she had to juggle, because that was the scene in which Charity Barnum, her character, the wife of P.T. Barnum, actually had to die. She dies when you drop because she drops all the balls or the other way around. She drops all the balls and then dies. Or it's, as she wrote, it's a beautiful way for a death. It's a beautiful way to uh, picture a death. But anyway, she, she tells us or tells us in the foreword that she was petrified when she read that all she wanted to do was run home to her one-bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side of New York and hide under the covers in a fetal position. And, uh, <laughs> and, and yet we took the time. She and I met at the at this sort of shabby old uh, ballroom in, a, in an old hotel where the rehearsals were being held, and we slowly, one, one throw at a time, taught or learned how to juggle. And she, listen, she was a great, 
student. She's very humble in the book. She's, you know, talking about how difficult it was, but how it came to her a little bit at a time. But her enthusiasm can't be held down as she wrote it. She wrote this wonderful piece. In any case, all of that is prelude to the fact that when we decided to do an audio book, I suddenly one day said, hey, maybe Glenn ought to do her forward, read her forward for the audiobook. Now, I didn't know for sure if she would do it. I do know that I, uh, I saw her once or twice in the interim because I went to see her in Sunset Boulevard, which she won Tony Awards for. She was simply brilliant in Sunset Boulevard on stage on Broadway. And so I contacted her at the time she was doing a shoot in Vancouver. And uh, the response was, yeah, she will do it when she gets back to her home, which was by then, by now, in Bozeman, Montana. Eventually she got back. She went to the audio studio there, you know, good professional audio person, and she recorded it. And when I heard it, which wasn't that long ago, I gave it, you know, I let it sit. I sort of previewed a little section just to see it was, that it was correct in terms of the technique or the technical aspect. And there it was, Glenn Close. Glenn Close maybe, oh, well, certainly amongst the greatest actresses in the world, certainly in America, reading her forward. And it just brilliant, just brilliant. What a pleasure and honor it was to have her. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> what a way to get the book introduced, though, to have that name. I mean, let's face it, her name alone is magical. And the way yeah. the book became an audio book, I mean, you and I talked about this before we, we started to record. This was not your idea, and the idea actually <laughs> came from a student who bought the book after one of your seminars, and he's a young actor, and he came to you and said... Yeah, brilliant, brilliant actor at that, but go on. Yes. And said, let's do this. And, I mean, yeah. this is just sort of, you didn't even think about doing this before he came no, to I you. No, I didn't. I didn't. That, that's correct. I did not think about it. He, he called me one day. It was a telephone call. This was, you know, a couple of years or so after he had bought the book at the Dartmouth bookstore after the seminar. And, you know, I was happy to be there, sign books and so on. And he said, hey, Paul, you know, I, I really love your book. I said, thanks, Max. He said, Max Samuels was his name. And he said, you know, I, I would love to do an audio book of it. And I, I kind of went, well, sounds, sounds good. And then he added, of course, I want to narrate it. <laughs> I, wow. <laughs> so he is going to voice me. And uh, I, I really didn't think twice. I mean, I think I said, sounds great, Max. Let's go for it. And he's a very, I mean, I had been in touch with him. I had meetings with him at the local diner in New York. He and another student, Debbie, Debbie Giordani, and I would meet for, for you know, breakfast every now and then just for the pleasure of changing ideas because they were both these incredibly, they're very smart kids, these kids who, who were at Dartmouth. And at the same time, they are uh, tabula rasa. They're a blank sheet blank of paper. Blank slate. Mm -hmm. And if they have the humility that you know goes with that, they are a pleasure to talk to because they're willing to you know fill in the blanks. And uh, anyway, so we would meet for breakfast occasionally, 
And uh, he, that's, I stayed with it with him. And to this day, I could pick up the phone and call him and know he'll return my call if, if he's not there at the, uh, that time. Uh, but it's his idea. And he does me in the audiobook. He does me better than me. You're happy with it, aren't you? <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. You know, we did go over it recently because it's in the editing phase. Uh, and we wanted to make sure we had all of the, you know, everything right. A lot of pronunciations because the book has me traveling, remember, in France around a grand tour of the great tour of France uh, from Dijon all the way to, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Oh, uh, <laughs> Perpignan was another great city. Aix-en-Provence, around La Rochelle is where we ended up, and uh, the pronunciations of the French place names, the pronunciation of the individual people's names, all of that was part of the preparation for the audiobook, uh, because he was not a French student, interestingly enough. Of course, he was a Dartmouth college. He was a Chinese student. Come on, Max. Well, this is French. This is We all took French, didn't we? And, uh, and, uh, I will tell you, a pleasure to collaborate with the guy. And it's in the final stage of the editing, uh, copy editing, really. And then it's going to the publisher. We don't actually have a publishing date or anything yet. All that will come soon. So stay tuned. Well, apologize to Max for me. Apologize to Max for me for my feeble attempt at the very beginning of our podcast, but I could not resist. I I thought that that was, since we're talking about this as an audio book, and you know, I think even if we'd only been talking about the print book, I think it's, those words are exciting, and the crowd went wild. That's exciting. and. The book is available on Amazon. Now, I checked Amazon. I went to the website, and let me give the specific name so that the listeners can find it. If you go to Amazon, if you've never been to Amazon to purchase a book before, all you have to do is in the search feature at the top of the page on your computer, just type in www.amazon.com, and it, it almost comes up without you clicking on it. It's sort of magical. The name of the book is Never Quote the Weather, W-E-A-T-H-E-R, to a Sea Lion, by Paul, P-A-U-L, Binder. I got it, (laughs) B-I-N-D-E-R. And if you put that in the search feature, click on it, the book will come right up. Now, if you look at the upper right-hand corner, there are two words that you see right beside the book, and it says, look inside. If you click on those two words, then the book, and I always, I don't know why I do this, but I feel like I have to do air quotes because the book quote opens, but it doesn't really open. Of course, it's electronic. So right there is an excerpt and you'll see the picture that, that both pictures that Paul described, it's in that excerpt. And then you'll get to read the story about his mother, and then there is some other information. There's some more of the book there. Now, if you want to buy the the Kindle version or the hardback or the paperback version, you can do that. It's right there. The audio book will be coming soon, right, Paul? Yes, definitely. Now that it's all there, all recorded, you bet it's coming soon. Now, your website, oh, my gosh, I looked at your website, and it is a 
treasure trove. Oh, my. Yes, it really is. Let's give the listeners the address, and then let's tell them what they'll find there, because it's just filled with wonderful stuff. It's www.allbindercircus.com. Click on that, and a world will open. (laughs) Let's tell them what's there. The first thing that I loved, you've got videos, and you were a regular guest as Paul the Juggler on that wonderful Muppet show back in the day when the Muppet show was so much fun and so new. And the video that I particularly enjoyed was the the video where you guys are – working on the bowling alley for Oscar the Grouch. Oh, yes. It was wonderful. What was it like to work with the Muppets? Oh, I got to tell you that uh, working with Oscar, now remember, there was a puppeteer no more than four feet below the can. You know, I don't even think it was that much. And he was lying on his back and doing, you know, physically doing and voicing Oscar. Well, once you start working, your cameras roll, and boom, you got, you're got in it. I'm talking to Oscar. And it never even occurs to me there's anybody else but Oscar that I'm talking to. It's, it just automatically clicked in for me. So there I was with Michael Christensen, who was my uh, performance partner and juggling partner. And we were, we were two working guys who, uh, whose job was to set up Oscar's bowling alley. It was a six-pin bowling alley. You see, our best juggling was done with six clubs. So uh, we were happy to do it. And he was a grouch, all right. <laughs> or, or, or as Art Carney used to, used to say, jeez, what a grouch. <laughs> In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if that's where they got the character from. But, you know, that, that line that Art Carney used to What was the name of the character Art Carney used to do? On, uh, on the Honeymooners. The Honeymooners. Uh, um, with on. Jackie Gleason and yeah, oh, I can't remember. June Meadows. Yep. June Meadows. Yep. And uh, yeah. Well, anyway, he was the downstairs neighbor. I just I wish I could remember his character name. He was wonderful, wonderful comedian. After anyway, it was Oscar the Grouch, Sesame Street. Well, you know, there we were. I got to tell you that that was one shoot in one day with Oscar. We also did. Oh, I think five or six, what they called inserts, which in our case were um, numbers, you know, because we were doing three clubs, four clubs, five clubs, six clubs, seven clubs. And each of those became an insert. Um, You know, each had a pattern that went along with them. And uh, and they ran those for nine years. I was like, wow. I mean. Okay, maybe it was four or five times a year that number six would come up. Maybe, maybe less. But at the end of the year, we would get a royalty. Can you imagine we get a royalty? <laughs> no. Except, except it was just that, a royalty. It was, it was one payment, no matter how many times we did it. I guess we were in um, Sesame Street was uh, PBS, and it was a not-for-profit, and that's how they paid royalties. You know what? It was exciting to get in any case. It was, it was, it was, that was such, uh, it was such a wonderful, exciting time, you know, to, to have that kind of fun. And, 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 and it was work. 
oh, yeah, be sure it was work. But it wasn't what I would call toil. It was just work. We did our job, and we enjoyed doing it. So it was a great pleasure. You've also got a blog. I mean, what else is on your website? There's so much information there. And if people want to contact yeah. you, you're available to do speaking engagements and um, things like that. They can also contact you on that website. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Paul at paulbindercircus.com. And, and I, I, just, I just signed up for another class uh, in Sarasota, Florida for uh, OLLI, OLLI, which is OSHA Lifelong Learning Institute, and uh, it's it's wonderful uh, organization. Uh, oh, I just, I've worked with I've them. In a, oh, I've, did you? Yeah, I've worked with them here in Texas as well. Oh, great! Yeah, they are. They're all over the uh, all over the U.S. and uh, and the people here have been wonderful. Here, I mean, when I say here, I mean Sarasota, Florida. Um, and they asked me what I. This is this be the second time I've done a, I've done a class. So that's a, you know four different se- four sessions in an hour and twenty minutes each. It it's very demanding, but I again it was a, it was wonderfully enjoyable as much because the students in the class obviously do their homework and they come back with wonderful questions and it, it triggers the wonderful answers. So that's that's the latest. I'm doing the my availability. Uh, I'm doing this now. That and uh, finishing whatever it takes to do the audiobook. Paul, I could talk to you forever. I, I mean, it's just so much fun, and you have so many stories, but we have to stop. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. Okay. I'm sorry. I hate to stop, too. And the last question that I always ask the author, because, you know, for me, it's always important for the author to have the last word about whatever piece of their work we're talking about. When our listeners become readers and they they either buy the book or they get the audio book and they listen to the audio book and it's over or they physically close the cover or they electronically close the cover and they're done with the book, the never quote the weather to a sea lion. They're finished. Do you want them to just have enjoyed themselves with the stories that you provide in the book? Is there some other something that you want them to take away? Well, I'll tell you, I do want them just to enjoy the stories. It is a book of stories. And it, uh, you know, storytelling is, is the oldest medium. Uh, that we as human beings, you know, exercise. And, and so that was the, a decision. Don't make this a, you know, a, 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 a deep memoir, you know, dark details or, oh, okay, maybe light details. Make it a book of stories. So every time there was a choice about that, I had to remind myself, tell the story. Uh, that's what that's that's what you do, you know, and you do that best. Even when we were doing our juggling act, crossing Europe, we were we had a we were voicing what we were doing as we were doing it. It was it was jokes, it was gags, it was you know humor that, uh, and the audiences loved it. Could I could I take a moment, Suzanne, and just say quickly that. Uh, even the French loved us when we were butchering the French language. So, <laughs> uh, 
uh, and we did. I mean, when, when uh, in English, we would say, uh, if you please, in French, it was, s'il vous plaît. Uh, we would say, and we had a rubber chicken on our act, letter of the rubber chicken, we would say, si vous poulet, if you chicken. <laughs> anyway, anyways, my point is, we it was always a story that we were creating. Paul was the not-so-bright juggler across the way from Michael, who was crisp and clear and articulate, and, and it, it made for wonderful comedy. So I... I urge you to uh, have a look at that website. If you want to buy the book, buy the book. I like when people buy the book. And the audio book, I think, is a gem. Uh, Max Sandler, do he does me better than me. Um, it, it, I think it's, it's going to be very good. We don't have a publication date yet. We will. We'll let you all know. Or Suzanne, will you let them all know? We probably can't. But I think that maybe we can put it on the, uh, yeah, I think we could probably put it on the information that's going to be on my host page. Yeah, I think we could probably oh, well, do that. That, make, yeah, that and, makes great sense. I could tell you what, it, it's a great honor doing this with you. Uh, I get to talk. I like to talk. Well, obviously, I do as well, and I have one little tiny, yeah, I mean, we can sit here all day. I mean, it's it's no question. I do a little research. I, I do many things, and this is one of the things that I do, and in the course of some of the research that I've done, I want to follow up on one thing you just said, because it's it's so important, I think. You talked about the importance of stories, and the brain research that I have seen talks about what happens to the brain when you hear stories. Your brain lights up in a whole different way than it does with anything else that you do. When you hear stories, your brain lights up. Paul Binder, you have made my brain absolutely glow today. It's been such a wonderful pleasure to talk with you. You're just so much fun. And I want to thank you so much for being with us. This was just delightful. I'm the one who wants to express thanks. It's been a great honor, a great pleasure. This is, yeah, let's have more fun. I'd love it. Remember, <laughs> you can find Paul Binder's book, and the title is Never Quote the Weather to a Sea Lion on Amazon, and don't forget to go to his website. You won't be sorry. It's just wonderful. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on iTunes as well as iHeartRadio. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope you'll join our next Books on Air podcast because remember, you never know who's going to be here or what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.